as we learned last week, there is an opportunity for us to either feed on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or to feed on the tree of life. If we feed on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we'll hear a preacher prattling. which leads to death, according to the Scriptures. But if we feed on the tree of life, it leads to heaven. I wonder what it will be. See, either we're going to hear a word from God, a seed, an incorruptible seed planted in our hearts, by the revelation of the Spirit, or we're going to play some sort of intellectual analysis game and be clever, which will be disastrous. So it's the Word of God, the Word of life, or it's the Word of man. The message this morning was triggered, first of all, by Paul Alcock asking Alan Blackman some time ago, Alan passes on to me, he says, has Jonathan Leach changed his message? Well, I've been preaching for over 40 years, so there's a chance there's been a change of emphasis. And I, I wasn't quite sure what he was talking about, but I think I found out. I think there's been a radical change in what I believe the gospel to be. And I look back and I remember what was driving my passion uh, in the early part of my ministry and as reflected in uh, part of the, the newsletter in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, we, we look at the profile in God's mind, of the human condition. And I was very aware, brought up in a very strict evangelical Anglican context, how sinful we all were, and hell fire was waiting unless we repent and do a lot of good things. And, and this is echoed again in, in Psalm 14. No, not one. I mean, here was from God's point of view, and the Scripture is God's profile. It's not our profile. The Scripture is, a, is an insight into God's thought patterns, which is why they don't make sense to us most of the time. And then... Uh, this it was echoed one of my favorite drum beats, as you've noticed, the, the deliberate mistake in the newsletter. Could we have Jeremiah? A heart is... Uh, you all notice the deliberate mistake in, uh, on the newsletter. The heart of man is desperately wicked. This, this, this was not some. That's the human condition. 
And for many, many years, that was my sense of responsibility to bring before people the sense of our iniquity and the wrath of God and the judgment and hellfire. And Jesus is the hellfire preacher, as you know. Uh, and then uh, Romans, please, Romans 5 and 10. Uh, we learn we were enemies of God. I didn't know I was an enemy of God. I, I, I wasn't born again until I was 29 years old. But according to God's view, I was his enemy. I mean, I, I was very devout. As a churchgoer, I tithed to Oxfam and things like that. But God said, no, you're my enemy. So he doesn't see things. I, I, I'm declaring war on God. God said I was an enemy. And, and that's where I was. And... Uh, I received quite a lot of affirmation from the people. You said, this is good preaching. This is true. It's the word of God. And there has been a change. But the change is because something has changed. Those scriptures about the iniquity of man and God's reading of the human condition have not changed. For those who are not born of the Spirit, for, for those who are unregenerate, for those who are now still at control of their own lives, those scriptures still apply. God still sees iniquity, enemies, none good, no, not one. But things have changed. And somewhere down the line, the penny must have dropped that gospel means good news, as Gary Hare is so good at communicating when he's got his feet on the ground. Gospel means good news. The good news that we are beloved, forgiven, and called, and known. So the answer, Paul, yes, it's changed because I've changed. Point one. Point two. I am repenting of having been beating a drum, as I've been beating a drum for some years now, that salvation is not performance orientated. Because I'm surrounded by people who are doers and they're task-orientated. Leave it to me, God. I've got the word. I'll put the kingdom on the ground. And so I've been beating the drum. It's not performance-orientated. It's all a matter of grace. But I've had to change my mind. I think the Holy Spirit has said the salvation is performance-oriented. The question is, whose performance? And salvation is dependent on God's performance. We are his workmanship. And if you remember some of the things we said, we, we have been turned. 
God has turned us. He has turned our mourning into dancing, our sorrow into joy. God has performed and is performing a work of salvation. And uh, this is what's been going on. And, And that's why this emphasis on grace is so important. But grace works. Grace doesn't mean, oh, well, it doesn't matter. We're not under law, we're under grace. Grace works. Grace is an engine. It's a power. It's a purpose. Grace changes us from inside out. And so let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 11. Uh, You were, but now. I, I was in the first part of those scriptures, but now. But now you're washed clean, sanctified. But now. And, and did I change myself? No, we have been changed. We are being changed and we shall yet be changed. And it's God's performance. And my relationship with God is this. You know, what are we required? Someone in the prayer meeting said, we must find out what God requires of us. Well, what he really requires of us is take our hands off the driving wheel and stop playing playing kingdom makers. He requires of us to trust him to fulfill his promises in our lives. He requires us to trust him. And so we, we read, this is what happened in John 15. Jesus says, you're already clean. And I'm, I've been busy on this business. Oh, I, must, I must stop doing this. I must wash, 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 I must wash. Like those water pots in the wedding of Cana. You are already clean. Stop faffing around with your moral realm, Jonathan. You're already clean through the word. The word, washing of the word. It's good news. We're not climbing up this desperate thing. I must try and be better. Because John 5.24, as Greg was reminding us at the prayer meeting before the service. You know, those who believe in Jesus have already passed over from death to life. It's happened. God did it. Jesus says, we're never going to die. Beg your pardon? He says, those who live and believe in me will never die. He says, we've already been translated into his kingdom. So what this is, this is just the baggage. The baggage will catch up later on. So Colossians 1.13, I think that talks about we've been translated We've been removed from a kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God. Not our being or will be, have been. It's very clear. Now, that needs revelation down here because it doesn't make any sort of sense up here. But from God's point of view, I'm already there.
Colossians 2.10. What's that all about? Oh, we're complete. We're complete in him. We're complete, we're mature. The flower has bloomed. We haven't got to get into a program, 17 points to holiness. You're complete in Jesus. As our God sees it, I don't see it that way. I see it very differently, looking around. God sees us complete in Jesus. Mature. Whole. So we don't have to go about on self-improvement exercises. We're available to serve other people's needs. Watch out for the work colleagues disappear. Because we're complete. It's not about me. My favorite verse is Ezekiel 36 and 26. This is the gospel. And find out who's performing what. Find out what the, what the believer does. I, that's God, will give you a new heart and put a new spirit. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgment. Hey, I will cause you to walk in my statutes. I will cause you to walk in my statutes. Lord, I am trusting you to keep your word. And I repent of making any resolutions about putting my life in order. That's your job. He's very good at it, too. And we see that process in that well-known verse in 2 Corinthians 3.18. As we all beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. This is the mirror. Of God's word, we see two, th- three things in here. We see, we see ourselves. We are. We see the glory of God. We see the relationship between the two. Only three things you need to find in the scripture. And so we believe God. In Jude twenty-four, God is able to present us, even us, <laughs> even me. Says Shepherd. Says. Uh, God is able to make us faultless before the throne of glory with exceeding joy. That's what he's able to do. That's God's performance. It's got nothing whatever to do with my contribution to the process. Hands off the steering wheel. We are required to trust him. I trust you, Lord. And that faith is fueled by the words so we need to live in the depth and the mystery and the wonder of this living word, which is the supernatural, totally supernatural. If you're intelligent, you won't believe a word of this, but if you have the Spirit, it'll come alive. Do be careful of theological academics. There are some wonderful ones. Liberal theology. So that's point two. Salvation is performance-based but it's 100% God's performance. And there is a requirement that we trust him to keep his word. And God's job is to turn me into his image. That's what it says. And I trust you to do that, and I'm fully aware it's going to be a very painful process. 
eye goes down the tube. <coughs> now put your tin hats on. <laughs> going on troubled waters now. I'm going to ask you to forgive me. I want you to forgive me. If you don't forgive me, you'll go to hell. It says so. In your... <coughs> what? what it? Romans 18, John 18, I think it says. John 18. If you don't forgive me, you go to hell. So you're going to forgive me. No. I want you to forgive me because I have a difference of opinion with most of you. And with the prevailing story that's being pushed forward in this community and across the charismatic world, I have a different opinion. And I want you to forgive me. I've got a British passport and a South African passport. English people have always been neither here nor there. On the one hand and then on the other hand. I mean, the Reformation, King Henry VIII, syphilitic swine. He's held up as the reforming king of England. He had no intention that the English, English people should be Protestants. He didn't want the Roman Catholic Church. He wanted the English Catholic Church. But it was to be Catholic. You know, Cranmer and Ridley and co. burnt alive at the stake for the sake of the authority of Scripture. Now, why, why am I asking you to forgive me? Because I don't agree. The chances are I'm wrong. That's fine. Won't be the first time. Well, the lifestyle of my being wrong. But I don't believe that England or South Africa are special nations in the eyes of God. But we have heard, and I have heard over 40 years, South Africa has a special destiny. I don't believe a word of it. Please forgive me, I'm probably wrong. See, in the scriptures, I see two communities. I see the redeemed community, the covenant community, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the temple of God, the living stones, the society of Jesus, the saints. I see in the scriptures that's one community. And then over against that, there's one other community. And it's called the nations. The nations, the ethnoi. The nations in in the Bible are not political units. When you read of Israel in the Bible, it's not the nation the political state of Israel. It's that community 
is linked with Abraham. And so our political idea of the nation state, is historically quite young as a matter of fact, is not what the scriptures are talking about. And forgive me, please forgive me. South Africa is not a special nation in the eyes of God. The church in South Africa is the beloved of God with a glorious destiny in the kingdom to come together with the church in China, Tajikistan and Uzbekistan and Turkmenistan and Azerbaijan, Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan and Afghanistan, Pakistan, Bhutan. There's a church in all those places persecuted brutally. people of God. But all those stars, they're part of the nations, including America and Russia and China, India. Who are facing the wrath of God. Can we have a look at uh, Joel chapter 3 and verse 2? The nations of the world. You see, there's a patriotism. Britain, never, never, never. Britain waves the rules or rules the waves. You see, I, I, it was never admitted, but we all thought that Jesus was the old boy of our school. The bad form to say so, but we all knew. It's very hard for a Brit like me to realize that England is not a special nation. Any more than Slovenia, wherever that is. I mean, you've all heard, and I've all heard for the past 40 years, how there's going to be a mighty Holy Ghost revival starting on the east coast of South Africa. And if you're in Durban, it's going to start in Durban. But if you're in Eastern Cape, it's going to start in Port Elizabeth. And if you get to Cape Town, you find it's going to start in Cape Town. And it's going to go up the coast and it's going to flood the whole of Africa. I don't believe a word of it. Could be wrong, it can yet happen. If it does. But there is a question of identity. What's our identity? South African, English, Afrikaans, Portuguese. Our citizenship is in heaven. My passport says, no, nation. Kingdom of heaven. The kingdom is not a republic. So forgive me. The nations are for the chop. The whole shooting match. They face the wrath of God. They're going to be brought to the mountains north of the present state of Israel. And do understand this. Israel in Scripture is not a political unit. 
the spiritual identity. Jesus says, not all Israel are Israel. The nations of the world fall into the first category we were doing. Genesis 6, verse 5. The only thoughts of their hearts are only evil continually. I think that's a remarkable achievement. In the, in the profile of God, the human condition, you don't drop the ball for a moment and have a nice thought. So let's see, on the other hand, if the nations of the judgment of God clearly spelt out in the Scriptures. I'm told everything's going to get better. I, I, I'm told it's going to be a great worldwide revival. It's all going to be fine. It's not what the scripture says. The scripture says terrible times are coming, such as have never been before. But there is an exception to one particular nation. Let's read about it in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18. The justified. We do have a destiny. Please forgive me. I'm not into goals and destinies and ambitions and fulfillment and me. But I do believe the people of God have a destiny. The church has a destiny. A glorious church without spot and wrinkle, robed with the majesty which we have been singing. Until the perfect day, and the day is coming. There is the day of the Lord. Not the day of South Africa, or the day of the church. But the path of the justified shines more and more, and as the darkness gets darker, the brightness gets brighter. And it's happening already. Not flamboyantly in a big stadium with overheads and things, but one to one. As the love and the mercy of God is communicated one to one to one to one to one to one to one. And it's subterranean. It's not sensational. It's never going to reach the TV. But it's supernatural. And what we've heard about the, the chap who went walk about being recovered, that's the kingdom of heaven. Please forgive me, please forgive me for not agreeing with this Rasmataz story. Uh, I would love it to be true. Oh, I would love it. It isn't true. Not in the book, anyhow. And then uh, we've done that now. I'm out. I've come out. I've come out, I'm not a destiny man. Destiny and goals. Church is glorious. Uh, please forgive me. You've got to forgive me. If you don't forgive me, you go to hell. Uh, now, um, two more points. And we'll hit the coffee. 
I've been told, with allegedly lots of biblical support, that I must and I should and whatever, be moral and ethical and obedient. Undoubtedly, this transformation that's going on by the action of the Holy Spirit has got a high moral, ethical content. And obedience is crucial. What obedience? Obedience to what? In Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 16, it's very clear that we are brought into the obedience of faith, which means we believe what Jesus believes. about dress codes or dietary codes or musical codes. But what I want to leave with you, beloved, the issues of morals and ethics and obedience are byproducts of a relationship. They are a fruit of a root. And we get a bit of a glimpse of that misquoting Romans 11.60, talking about something different. You see, I've been reading the scripture that says, unless you obey and unless you're moral, unless you're ethical, wow, 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 wow. In actual fact, the scriptures say, if you love me, if you're in a relationship of love, stuff happens. Babies are born. <laughs> Throw in the Galatians one, if you would, Benny. This root and fruit thing. The fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of the branches. The branches carry the fruit, but they don't bear it, except in the carrying sense. The fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the vine. The root is a relationship with Jesus, the Word of God. And the difference between the fruit of the Spirit and moral rearmament and religious good intentions is the difference between real fruit and plastic fruit. And if you try and eat a plastic peach, you'll cut your lip, which is what happens as we throw our rules around, you should, you should not. Bleeding. Something gone. All right, so we've, we've done all that. Obedience, and biblical morality, and biblical ethics are the side inevitable and necessary byproducts of a deep, intimate love relationship with Jesus, the bridegroom, 
We are the bride. We have intimacy with Jesus. We have fruit, which is moral, ethical, obedience to the word. It just happens, you know. Great mystery, but it happens. Right. Coming into land, never trust a preacher when he says he's coming into land. He's got another 20 minutes on the clock. cannot have a forged note unless there's a genuine one somewhere. You cannot have a lie unless there's some truth somewhere. You cannot have a devil unless there is God somewhere. The evidence of evil and wickedness and falsehood indicates that there's an origin which is good, pure, true, and lovely. So when you see something that's evil and wicked and untrue and false and ugly, I wonder where that comes from. Trace it back, you'll end up with Jesus. You see, there are apostles of God and there are false apostles in the book. And there are prophets of God. And there are false prophets. They're in the book. And some of the true prophets have got it wrong as well. And there are teachers and there are false teachers in the book. There are brethren and there are false brethren and brethrenettes. There are miracles, and there are false miracles, lying signs and wonders. There is Jesus Christ, and there are many false Christs. And it's not as clear-cut as it sounds. How we need one another. We need to wait on the Lord. We need to be subject to one another. We need to allow one another to be different in our understanding of what is authentic. And what do you remember? Joshua came and did authentic and unauthentic Christianity. So don't let's get so wound up about something that's wrong. Let's trace the origin to what is right. Because no one ever told a lie. And there's somewhere behind it, someone told the truth. Now, we're closing now. Don't believe a preacher. If there's anyone who's still in point one, in Genesis 6, 5, probably means you're intelligent, accomplished, high reputation.
full of achievement. Probably you know Hebrew, Greek, and Latin backwards. But, you know, you know in Genesis 1, Genesis 6, if you haven't got that joy of which Gary is talking about, that cauldron of joy, it's important to understand that while God is love, he's a cauldron of joy. Over and above all the sufferings of the world. As we part now, we want prayer. It's dangerous. You could be translated into the kingdom of God. Suddenly find you're no longer in control of your life. They asked Billy Graham and said, uh, is salvation free? He says, it's completely free and it'll cost you your life. They also asked him whether he was narrow-minded at the airport. He said, I hope I'm as narrow-minded as the pilot who landed on the airport and not in the high street. Amen. Uh, we haven't got any more worship, have we? I think it's time for tea and wad. Bless you all. And come for prayer if you need prayer or a touch. <laughs>